This episode of From the Saddle is brought to you by the Australian Performance Horse Magazine, keeping you informed on all performance disciplines, competition news and results, feature stories, people, training, reviews and more. Available Australia-wide in print and worldwide digital via Google Play and the iTunes App Store. Go to performancehorsemag.com.au for your subscription and super merchandise. From the I just need to take five and just go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> From the saddle. Hey folks, Scotty Keogh here from the saddle. I tell people, when I first entered pro rodeos in the States, just a pup kicking about, when you turned up at the rodeo and on the day sheet beside your name it said you're Australian, the contractor, the announcer and the riders, they already thought that you might be tough. Now that reputation was carved out by men like Jim Dix, Daryl Kong, Dave Appleton, Glenn O'Neill, but a lot of that was from this guy. Okay, now Australia's had a lot of good bull riders over the years from Ben Jones, Brendan Clark, Jason Ahern, Jack Woodall, Scott Fraser. It's a list that goes on and on. But gold buckles don't tell lies. Australia only has one world champion bull rider, and this morning I'm joined with the one and only Troy Dunn. From the saddle. From the saddle. How you going, Troy? Pretty good, Scott. What are you up to today? Oh, we got a property up here in Bloomsbury and uh, we bred a few wagyus. Oh, well, that's ones and that's twos. So we just finished weaning and uh, preg testing, so we're just looking after the calves and the weaners in the yard at the moment. You, you keep fit, Troy. Um, how old are you now? 34. You're not 34. <laughs> 54. <laughs> Mate, um, tell me, life after rodeo. So you run cattle, uh, you stay fit, you're boxing. I see you're having the odd run in the camp draft. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I was always competitive, uh, and I always, you know, knew that I'd do something competitive-wise, you know, with the, with the bush, though, and then camp draft. And we did it when we were young fellas, and, you know, we, we did the pony club, and, that's what you did in the bush, and you know, when you go up on the property, you, you, know, you haven't got access to all the other normal sports the kids do so much. And so, uh, yeah, we, we'd go to rodeos and uh, pony clubs and camps after and that type of thing. So it was a bit of a natural progression after riding. You know, a lot of old cowboys probably, uh, you know, breaking horses and train horses and that type of thing. And I sort of did a little bit of that type of thing, but... Um, and then I was fortunate enough to be able to get my own properties and so I didn't have to really go ahead and train horses for a living, but I still like mucking around them and, and getting my own going and breeding my own and, and doing a bit of drafting. Right, that's terrific that you've had a career that's enabled you to do that. I think that's that's amazing. Not many guys come out of a rodeo career and, and can buy a cattle property. So um, it sort of says uh, what sort of career you had. So, um, look, mate, let's, let's start at the very start. Look, I, I think your dad rode bulls, didn't he? Yeah, Dad rode more, you know, back in the day where they had bullocks, you know, and the steer ride and, and bronc and that type of thing. I don't think bulls had really come in too much. You know, he finished, so I think the bulls started to come in, but yeah, he rode, rode rodeos, yeah. You had a few brothers? Yeah, well, uh, two older brothers and a young brother all rode, and Owen, he was, he was uh, very good. He made the world final a few times and, and um, you know, won a strange title in the all-round bull ride, so... Uh, he went pretty good himself. Yeah, definitely, mate. So how did you get going, Troy? I mean, you know, the average kids, they, they kick around behind the chutes and, and you come up through the grades, a few steers and a few bullocks, but 
How did you really hit your straps? Well, it all started uh, at Colour Radio, probably back when I was about 10. And um, back then there was a full rodeo in Tampa for the same weekend. And I always hounded Dad to let me go on the potty ride. So he let me go in and I got first jump, pulled over his head and bucky little calf and pulled me down on me on his head and took a bit of bark off my cheek and that was the start of it. So I uh, thought this was good fun and uh, you know, they let me enter up in the calf ride and, and later on you know, when I got a bit older and steer ride and, and then eventually bull. So um, Dad wanted us to do it. Um, if we are going to do it, we do a copy. So you know, we built a set up there and um, we got bulls and practice bulls and, and we all practiced and my older brother was uh, one North Queensland championship, so we had some schools on around. We get all the young fellas from around Mackay District and Serena and Nebo, and you know they'd come and do schools, and we'd all learn off each other and ride together, and and that's how it all got going. Really shocked there. Yeah. Did you have a hero, mate? Who was your idol? Oh, growing up, probably Wally Lewis. Yeah, right. And I wasn't really that big of a league fan, but I sort of watched him, and I used to watch the highlights and. And that type of thing, but you know, I, I played a bit of league at school, but it never really turned me on that much. I, I, I liked it pretty good, but uh, yeah, I think as far as riding goes, I guess you know the, the guys that were riding really good at the time before you know when I started, when I was in a young young fellow and coming up, and we used to watch videos of, of the US, and and um, I think Edelman and Jim Sharp were probably guys that always. Thought rode the best. I still do actually. Yep. So the fellas I looked up to, and I probably really didn't copy too much off them, but I thought it out my own way of riding. I guess. Well, you, you definitely had your own way of riding, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm only an amateur. Like I always thought, you had a Jekyll and Hyde deal going on in that you could get out in front of your rope better than anyone and take the power off rank pulls better than anyone, but then you could get back in the rumble strip and just be tough too. Yeah, well, I guess that's right. You know, you, you talk about offense and defense in all sports, don't you? So that, that's the thing, you know, when you're getting, getting over the front of them and you're going to them, that's the offense. And then if you do get in your mind, well, then you've got to do what it takes in the defense. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you're hanging down the side and um, just keeping your hands shut and hanging on for the whistle, well, that's what it takes. Exactly. So how old were you, Troy, when you started, like, heading south? Like, you're a North Queensland boy. How old are you when you come down to the pro rodeos? Uh, well, I, I was allowed to get going sort of when I was 18 and, um, you know, left home and we were just working on the property there and we got going. I went and did some ABCRA full-time, really, in 86. And I left me there, I would have been 19, and I, I rode there a couple of years and probably 87 was my rookie year in, in the AWRA back then. And then sort of, well, I was, I was pretty much making a living out of it from 19, really, because I didn't, I didn't have a job or work. I, I did a little bit of that sort of thing um, in meatworks and checking the back when we used to go down south in the southern run in Victoria and that type of thing. But yeah, I was able to, you know, uh, make a living for myself riding. And, and I rode uh, bareback horses as well as steer wrestling. So um, I wasn't just relying on the one event for the weekend to make me money. Absolutely. I think people forget how good you rode barebacks. I mean, you won major rodeos in Canada, like Rodeo Royal in the bareback riding. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether I was uh, 
places are rigging rider, but... Well, I asked Ike Sankey once, I said, could Troy Dunn ride barebacks? Because I'm, I'm thinking he's going to say, oh, he's a bull rider that got on barebacks. And he said, no, Troy Dunn could really ride barebacks. Ike Sankey told me that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, no, we got right into it there. Uh, brother O and um, Ian Collins and, you know, I used to travel with those fellas and we we got right into the, you know, the rigging rides and talk about horses and go down to Maccas and go in the keys, you know, and get on horses and... Yeah, we got right into it there for a while. It, I think at the end of the day, it, it messed me up a little bit with me bull riding because they're two, you know, different events. And I even, you know, used to talk to Ty about Ty Murray because he did all three and he was, he was the best at all three, But so he could tell me. But every now and then, he'd get things confused a little bit and he'd laugh about it. And, you know, he'd, he'd get back on a bull when instead of being getting forward and he, because he just got on a bareback horse. And I think it, it did interfere a little bit with me bull riding and that was the thing that I was really trying to improve on and get better at and that's where the money was, you know, particularly with TBR and the money and in the end I dropped the bareback riding and concentrated on the bull. So you're in your early 20s kicking around the pro rodeos in Australia. Did you have a goal to be a world champion? Um, well, I, I sort of did, but I, I, I always thought that I rode good enough that I... I didn't know when it would happen, so I was just content to just keep improving and, you know, and getting on a lot of balls at the rodeos, you know, particularly, you know, was in the APRA here, you know, in the late 80s and then early 90s and that in, in Canada and in the US and, you know, I made my first NFR in 91 and I thought then that I could mix it with them and that I could maybe get around, you know, the best guys. At some stage, I didn't really know when that would be. I, I guess I finished the 91 NFR pretty strong, and I felt like I could go on with it from there in the preceding years. And it just so happened that I, you know, 92, 93, 94, I, was, I had a lot of injuries, and they weren't major injuries, but, you know, I, I was always on the sideline with full groins or crook back or elbows or something wasn't quite right. You know, I'm going to mix it with the best. You know, on the best balls, you got to be pretty right physically, and I, I never was, you know, for three years. And um, I ended up coming home at the end of 94. I'd, I'd missed making the NFR those three years, and uh, but I made the, the world finals and won around the world finals. I think I won 10 grand, and, and I come home and I had to reassess things then pretty much. And I actually, uh, my wife, Jackie, had come over in the middle of 94 and spent a bit of time with us rodeoing and, and um, asked him marrying me there and we got engaged over there and so we were getting married at, at the start of 95 but I had a job at an engineering place at the end of 94 because, you know, when you're rodeoing, you, you know, you're always broke and, unless you're, you know, right at the top and for those three years, you know, Sandy broke pretty much and he was working at uh, Tractor Place in Mackay and I was working there and I said, well, this will be up. You know, we'll get married and settle down and, and we had nothing. I had a old car and she had a, she had a ute and a horse float and that's all we had really. And, um, and I said, well, we'll, we'll just make a go. This is what we'll have to do, you know. This rodeo and things not working. You know, I've always been brought up to have a go and, Set a good example by that and you know, to get up every day and go to work and provide for your family and take on your responsibility. But Jackie had other ideas. He said, no, you're better than that. And you, 
to uh, you got plenty left in you, and we'll go and give it another go. So uh, that's what we did. We got married in uh, February, and we went to the island for a couple of days, and then flew out back to the US. And of course, I had contacts and so forth in the states, and but uh, we didn't want to go and scrounge or bum off anyone, so we moved into a place uh, in Fort Worth there. I played plenty to all the Warren in. <laughs> anyway, it wasn't real safe place, but that's all we could afford. And then, then we got a little bit better place, and things still weren't going that good, really. You know, I'd, I'd go every weekend, and uh, whenever I'd do a good ride, it'd be for a little bit of money. And then when the big events were on, I'd get thrown off or something would happen. And, yeah, my body felt good, though. I felt like I was pulling injury problems with disappeared a bit because I'd had a bit of time off and then um, I said, you know, we had the conversation what are we going to do, you know, and we got no money left because we're still in the Miles Rodeo and you know, pretty hard to go to those bull riding but <laughs> that all cost a lot of money and, and we had a nicer place, we stocked more money again and safer place, mind you, and I said, you know, what are we going to do and he said, oh, well, we got return flights to home if nothing happens this weekend, we'll you know, we just pack up and go home and we'll resume our work at home and go from there. Well, that was going to be the last weekend and I went away with uh, Cody Custer to Angleton, Texas, to a bull ride there and I was going to Alexandria, Louisiana, to uh, tour and pro CBR events and I won the one at um, Angleton, um, Radiate eight on Road of the Bone and won it, one of our five and a half thousand and then the next one was um, Alexander of a third down. It paid seven or eight or something like that. And uh, that was pretty much the start of me done in the second half of my career, I sort of feel like. You know, like the first half was all the, the AWRAs, you know, the APRA and the Pro Rodeo here and the title here. And then, you know, along with that, Calgary and then FR. And then there were three years of, of nothing. I guess that weekend kick-started um, the second half. And the rest of that year, you know, I went on and won the World Finals and won 70,000. And that sort of was the start of my second half of my career, I guess. And, mate, you're always pretty clean living. I've never heard too many Troy Dunn stories where you're drunk and locked up anywhere. <laughs> no, but <laughs> it did happen. It did happen. Not, not that often, but I was pretty keen on having a party. Everybody thinks I was safe. But the people probably know me, know that I'd, you know, like to celebrate if I had a win and um, get on the syrup a bit and have a bit of fun and party. But, you know, most of the other time I was trying to get something done in the arena, I guess, and that wasn't going to help me if I was partying. That of course. Absolutely. So, mate, the PBR being formed, was it a saviour? Like, I mean, I used to live with Jared Farley and, and I used to say, I'm so jealous of you. Like, I'm riding Saddle Bronx and... We're going. We're living on the road, and you're going to you know one premier event a week with good stock. Like so, did that put some longevity on your career? You think? Of course, mate. Yeah. Um, like at the end of '96, um, Scott Fraser and I were travelling, and he was he was riding three, and I was riding two, dust off, and 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 we were both beat up all the time, and you know with the PRPA the way it was with. You know what it's like when you enter all those rodeos and they don't set you up and then you've got turnout fines yep. and, you know, and, and you're having to turn out and, and then you get X amount of visuals, they call them, where 
little bit sore or something, you actually can't get on. But you're at that event, you can go to the judge and say, you know, I'm sore, I can't get on, so they'll turn you up and you don't you know, get to turn out fine. But, yeah, so yeah, you get three of those. And we we got to the stage where at the end of the 96, I think we were up there in Allensburg or something, Allensburg, Washington or something, and we were both beat up and tired and sore, and, and um, we both decided to pack it in and forget about the PRCA and just concentrate on, on the PBR. And I think Fraze, he actually come home and didn't really go back, unfortunately, for Fraze. But, yeah, golly. Uh, How good was that guy? But, um, you know, he, he could win in the PBR, in the bar, and he did win in the PBR. But anyway, he wanted to come home and so forth. But, uh, so that was sort of really when I decided that I'd forget about the rig and riding and um, the rodeos and just try and concentrate on the bulls and, yeah, that's, Probably I've got another nine years there, but really just doing PBRs on the weekend. Yep. So, mate, tell tell me about rank bulls. Let's start with chainsaw. How, how many times did you get on chainsaw? Yeah, well, I got on his six. How many times you ride him? Well, I, I qualified on him five times. The first time uh, they said I slapped him, so I was disqualified on him for the first time, but I made the list on them and I rode him every time after that. Tell me... And, I mean, it's only blokes like you that can compare. How, how good was Chainsaw in the whole scheme of, of world-class buck and bulls? Where, where does he sit? Well, at the time, um, you know, at his time, he was he was as good as there was in the world. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, that was back, you know, in the late 80s and 90s. And, um, you know, on his day, it was probably better. Than, than the best balls in the state. But uh, he didn't have that super rank just every time. Like, I've seen him a couple of times where, you know, it just took rankness to a new level, you know, because he'd, he'd jump up so high and sideways and land on his feet and switch it up and do it again the other way. And I actually never really got those kind of super rank trips. I got the six that he barked, he still was out and around and, and um, hooking them up. But uh, on the odd occasion, you know, he, <laughs> I've seen him with a couple of blokes, Cameron Sober on him at the room and Toby Lucas on him somewhere else. And they, you just, I don't know whether there'd be anyone, I seriously don't know whether anybody would be able to get by those kind of things. And all for about 300 bucks too. <laughs> yeah, well, that was right. Uh, but, and so, you know, his consistency wasn't probably... You know, on those super ranks, just like that wasn't there every time. And so, you know, as a, as a bull, he'd be up there with the best in the world. You know, so uh, the other bulls that I would compare him to, you know, of, of the time, you know, Buck, probably harder than he, you know, his average trip, but not as not as tough as his super ranks. And there, there was a lot of bulls on the face, of course, that were, were great bulls and there was lots of them to get on. So tell me, what would you regard as your best ride? Rankus Bull, you rode? Uh, um, I think possibly uh, I, I got a little bull of Johnson Brothers at Moortown Rodeo in 1988. A uh, little bull called Undertaker. I guess I was 86 on him. But that, that's, I think, I feel like the busiest I've ever been on money is came back into my hand there to the, to the right, into my hand, and... Um, yeah, I was going, going pretty hard, and then I thought, yeah, I must be time, and 
But when I thought it must be time, the, the two second I thought it must have been time I got back playing. That was a bit of a thing that I thought, you know, uh, I thought no, no ball really ever threw me off that quick, as in, you know, you, didn't, you weren't just riding and then you just got slammed like that. And I, I kind of knew that um, once I got up, you know, and I hadn't had it off how busy I was, and then later I thought, I just thought for one second through that ride and then I got back to him. That sort of doesn't really happen that often type of thing. And, you know, I got on a lot of, you know, big name balls and so forth in the US and, and rode them, but I didn't, I didn't feel that I was ever as busy um, on a ball as I was on Undertaker that day. Happy bargain, eh? And what about, mate, uh, to my knowledge, you never got on Bodacious. Is, is that a good thing or would, would you have liked to crack? Yeah, I he wasn't the one everyone was craving, I don't think. Um, you know, he he uh, was going through a stage there, you know, when he got big reputation for you know, knocking fellas out and there there wasn't any escape route really if you were you know, going to try and ride him, you know, at that point, you know, in the bull's career that you were probably gonna take one in the head, you know, so it was just the way you had to ride him, you had to get over the front. And if you didn't, you know, you'd get reared back and then when he'd kick, you'd be coming down and he'd be coming back up. So you had to really get over the front. But, you know, as everybody saw, tough doing that on him when he got smacked, um, you know, he was getting over the front and that's where he had to be. So I reckon you would have got him wrangled. <laughs> I would have backed you, mate. <laughs> yes, mate, was there... Was there an intimidation factor the first time you went to the States and you walked in the locker room and there was Tuff and Jim Sharp and Ty and them blokes? Like, did you go through a teething process, mate, or did you feel at home at that level straight away? Yeah, well, I was, I was probably a bit indignant, young fella, really, and I, I knew that I'd done my hard yard, and I always thought that, and everybody probably thinks the same, anybody that does any hard yards probably still well thinks they do more hard yards than anybody else, but... Uh, when I got there, I, I know that I'd been in the practice pen a lot, and I'd, I'd been on a lot of good balls here in, in, in Australia. I'd, um, I'd, I'd trained in the gym a lot. Um, I, I'd had to deal with some contractors in Australia that, that were hard on you as well, because they were pretty possessive about their stock. So I'd been through the whole thing, I think, as a pro, and, and that was just another level that I wanted to get to over there and, and, and I wanted to compete and beat those fellas and, and I think you know I do remember actually going to the short round in Hamilton, Oregon and all the good guys were there and it just motivated me really I was you now there tough and Jim and you know Cody Custer and you know Dave Fournier and all, all the good guys were there but I always thought that you know, I could mix it with him and my attitude was right oh well, you think you can ride well we'll see you can ride today yeah, nice. That was just the way I thought. I didn't was ever intimidated by anybody, and and those guys never really did any dredging or tried to intimidate any bloke. I never felt in any way. That was, they were all sort of camaraderie, as you know. You know, with, with radios pretty strong there for men. That, that's funny when you say about contractors intimidating you because a few in the States would try and get to me and I'm thinking, you know what, we, we've grew up around Gary McPhee, mate. You're as scary as the tooth fairy. Like, come on. <laughs> you gave a few contractors a little attitude adjustment in your day, didn't you? You've, you've gone to the knuckle. Well, almost. Um, yeah, actually, I did. 
couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> one bloke told me, we're sitting there having a beer with this bloke. It was one of the Northcott boys in Canada. He said, see this scar running down your head? He said, Troy Dunn gave me that. <laughs> yeah, well, you can only take something, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome, mate. That's awesome. I think, um, like, your reputation in the arena, you're the same guy out of it. You know, you, you weren't intimidated by anything. Yeah, well, um, don't know about that. I was speaking with a bit of a bluff. Mate, you're going well. You sound like Elvis coming over these headphones here. <laughs> so tell me something I've got to ask you about, Troy, and I, and I don't know if, you, if you're comfortable talking about it, but six weeks before your last ever ride, a bull knocked you out and it, and it messed with you a bit, didn't it? It sure did, mate. Yeah, I, uh, I decided that I wanted to see the end of the year through. Yeah, I, uh, that was in 1905, sorry. And, and halfway through that year, I'd sort of lost all craze and ride balls. I, I guess this one song was at um, in Fresno, California. I went there, and then that came to the end of it. I lost, I lost all the craze and to sort of do it, but I wanted to see it out. And and because of that big win, actually, I I qualified for the world song, so I wanted to go to the world song. Um, and then Pendleton come along six weeks out there, and I got knocked out and spent uh, a couple of days in hospital because I couldn't. People lived there and was up, and I ended up flying back to Dallas, Fort Worth, there, down Mineral Wells Road, stayed there. But anyway, I used to do a lot of sleeping because of the condition I had, and, and our doctor, Danny Swim, I went and seen him as well, and he said, no, nah, just take it easy. And I rang him, I said, some of my sleep all the time. He said, yeah, that's just your head healing. Anyway, I woke up one day, and... I had this mad notion that I thought I was going to die at the World Finals. I thought that was that was what the story was going to be. And so I thought I'd just forget about it. And um, But it never went away. And um, so I kept thinking that, you know, that this is going to happen. And I I spoke to Jackie about it. He was able to know about it. He, you know, she had a bit of a ball about it and so forth. And said, you don't have to go, you know, to the World Finals. You don't have to ride there and just hang it up and I said, no, I want to see it through because that's what I said I had to do when I wanted to finish. I, I knew that I probably wouldn't do very good at the World Finals for the last half of the year. I struggled badly and hence probably the reason I got knocked out, really. I didn't I didn't have any heart. And I still had confidence, but I just didn't have that crave and, you know, to ride those balls. And, and I actually have a conversation with some of the young fellows bull riders that are on the verge of retirement and I tell the story for them because they, they kind of think they've got to keep going for no reason. I always say, you know, if you lose the, the Craven ride bulls, we'll come to give it away. But anyway, um, I had a yarn to uh, PBR Kaplan, Todd Pierce, about it. And he, he uh, shed a bit of light on it with his friends and Jackie and I did a fair bit of praying together about it and so forth and um, went off to the World Finals and I was still with this notion, you know, and I thought that, that it was all going to end there. So every night that I left the motel, I would say, you know, goodbye to my family, like it was the last time I was going to see him, really. So, yeah, that that was a bit of a difficult time there because, uh, you know, the kids were only young and they could see Jackie time, but they didn't know, you know, uh, what it was all about. But, uh, but the last night was probably the hardest because I thought, well, this is it, you know, and so away I went. But I, I wanted to see it through. I didn't want to die, but, you know, I, I said that I was going to do it. 
Uh, and I went down there and I got on um, the last ball and he uh, he come around, he went out, he done a yui and sort of turned back and then come back and back, back towards the sea jump and kicking and, and I remember pretty plainly I got back to the shoot and he kicked up and he threw me. So I was trying to get off, so I was getting off him and the whistle had gone and um, he threw me back into the shoot and threw me really high with my feet out in front of me and... Right in, right in front of the street where I'd come out, so there was, you know, Jared Farley and Bradley Clark and Greg Potter all on my shoot, you know, from the last ride. And I think you remember falling and all the hands out there trying to grab me. And of course, they all missed. Then I hit the ground. Um, and I, and I'm thinking, well, this is it because it's all happening in slow motion. And, and I, uh, because I didn't know where his back feet were. Because he's sticking up so high, and I thought, oh, I'm going to hit the ground, his back feet are going to come down. And I hit the ground, and I broke some ribs at the back. But I got up. <laughs> There's not a lot of air, but um, perfectly relieved because <laughs> I knew that, uh, I knew that uh, I'd got away with it. And um, that was the story, yeah. But uh, the thing that got me through it really was uh, I, had a, I had a Bible plate in his pocket, and it's still in those. Riding jeans and the gear bag, and the old gear bag that I've never touched really since. And it's a quote out of the Bible, and it's, uh, it says, uh, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So uh, that, was, that was what got me through it pretty much. I'll be bugging, mate. That's, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that story with me and, and showing that you know, vulnerable side. I mean, I always just thought you were he-man, just straight up. Nothing ever bothered you. That's, um, no, that's, re- that's really cool that you shared that story, Troy. Yeah, well, these things happen, I guess, important that, you know, the arena teaches you more about life than anything, really, I guess. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Mate, after that final ride, that was it? There was no more? No, uh, definitely no more after that one. I definitely thought that I went as far as I could with it, and um, I was happy with what I'd done in the end. Absolutely, I mean, your career is, well, it's, it's unparalleled. Um, we, we've only had one Australian world champion, that's for sure. So, mate, um, it's a tough sport. I don't know if I want my son to rodeo. What advice would you give to a young bull rider that's sort of hitting his straps now? Um, pretty much to, uh, you know, be disciplined. And that, that's something I've been trying to change the culture of riding bulls here, you know, for a long time. And because, I mean... At the end of the day, you've only got yourself to blame. And if you can go there and you know you've given 100% in your preparation, you know, with your discipline and you're working out and you practice, well, then there's no need for you to get up off the ball when you get thrown off and throw a tantrum and throw your rope and, and carry on all frustrated. Because if you do what you know you can do and do everything you know possible to get him out, well, you've got nothing to worry about. You've got well, I think you did everything there was to do in the arena, Troy. Um, your career's been amazing. 
I hope to uh, see you maybe around one of the camp drafts or Stockman Challenges soon. Yeah, That'd be really good. So, uh, mate, I want to thank you for your time, Troy. Uh, you're an icon of the sport. I wish you well with your boxing. It's great. You, you're still in great physical shape. I know rodeo can take its toll on a lot of people, and there's a lot of temptations out there, the bottle and, and various things to lean on, but it's great to see that you're living your best life, mate. Yes, no worries. Thank you very much. Josh, appreciate it. Appreciate your time, Troy. Thanks to our sponsor, the Australian Performance Horse Magazine. I'm Caitlin Hewitt, the founder and co-host of From the Saddle. I started this podcast a year and a half ago because I knew important stories from rural Australia weren't being told. We hear stories of triumph and tenacity, heartache and loss from rodeo riders, outback ringers, cattle traders, bronze sculptors and more. From the Saddle is an independent podcast. It's just us telling stories that matter to our community and we are so stoked that nearly 100,000 people have joined us for the ride. We're looking for partners this season to help tell these stories because we think they're worthy of being told. They're a part of our history and possibly our future. If you're interested, we'd love to hear from you.